good morning. I'm Dave Mitchell, uh, one of the... I hate it when Joy starts clapping and makes everybody else feel guilty like they should as well. It's my wife. Um, anyway, it's good to be with you again. It's always a joy to serve together with you and with my wife, of course. And uh, we're excited to go in through this wonderful New Testament letter. The Apostle Paul, he, we call it Second Timothy. Uh, there was a First Timothy, and so we're in the Second Timothy. And Timothy is a young man that God has discipled and mentored and developed. And Second Timothy is actually Paul's. Sometimes I like to think of Second Timothy as Paul's last will and testament. It's the very last things that he ever wrote, ever said. These are his last words. Chapter four are the final things we'll ever hear from Paul. And after chapter four. Paul was executed. He died. He was in prison. He's been in prison two times. He was in prison writing Ephesians and Philippians and some of those New Testament letters. He was released, and then he went back into prison once again in Rome, and there he was executed. But he was able to get out the Second Timothy epistle. It's a wonderful, wonderful letter. And the whole idea of, of making our lives, what we do, worth the risk, taking risks to be able to serve the Lord. And 2 Timothy chapter 1 also emphasizes that. And I'm going to read the text. We're looking at actually just two verses here this morning. And only a trained, ordained minister can make two verses last for 30 minutes <laughs> and feel like, will they ever stop? But here in verses 6 and 7, Paul writes this. And this is really point on to the idea of worth the risk. Listen to what Paul says to his young uh, mentee, if you will, for this reason. I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power, love, and discipline. So the Apostle Paul wants to challenge Timothy. Timothy had a little bit of a problem. His, his, the fire of his faith was dwindling. So the first thing that we see in 2 Timothy 1.6 is this, for this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God. Kindle it again. Literally, the word kindle means to bring live fire to your life. Uh, it's so easy in this last year, the pandemic and the shutdowns and the quarantines, for us to kind of lose that fire. Uh, I've met with lots of people over the course of this last year, and many of them have felt as though the, the fire of their faith, the fire of the grace of God has been extinguished in their lives. In fact, uh, one woman that I visited, she actually took what I sometimes refer to as the death pill. And with her family surrounding her, she ended her life with that medicine that is now available in the state of California. And the family was devastated to watch their mother extinguish her life at her own choice. Those are tough things to go through. And so the Apostle Paul knows that even in those days, 2,000 years ago, and even today, it's a challenge. And he, one of the things I need to highlight, he says, for this reason. For this reason. For what reason? So when you see the word for this reason or the word for, you go back a verse, and it says in verse 5, for I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois, your mother Eunice, and I'm sure that it is in you as well. So Timothy, ignite that fire of your faith because look who you have behind you your mother and your grandmother. And then the verse 5 has the word for, so you go back one more verse, and it's Paul saying, I am constantly remember you in my prayers day and night, longing to see you, even as I recall your tears, 
so that I may be filled with joy. So Paul is saying, Timothy, you've got your mother, you've got your grandmother, and you've got me. We're all behind you. So I want your faith to be fired up again. Bring new life to your fire of your faith. And so God brings that to them. And this word for, he says, this gift of God, it's, it's easy to sort of misconstrue what that is, but the word gift is charisma, and it really means a gift of grace. It's not necessarily, it could be a, a gift of teaching or a gift of administration or a gift of healing, but I think it is something much broader than that. It's the whole, the, the, word, the Greek word charis means grace. Charisma comes from that. It's, it's the grace of God. that I need the grace of God to fire up my faith. Now, to help us remember this, let me take you to my backyard. In my backyard, we have a uh, fire pit, and uh, it's right next to the pool that I've offered to give to anybody for free, but nobody's taking me up yet. It's a $40,000 gift, if you would like it. But here is the fire pit, and sometimes we got the fire of our faith. It's burning. It feels pretty good. It's burning along, but sometimes things happen that extinguishes that faith. It could be all kinds of struggles of pain and sorrow and financial loss, loss of a job, a pandemic, and things like that. And so what happens is that it dwindles, but we need something. So we want to refire the faith. We want to be stronger. We want to do what Paul says. I want to rekindle my faith. I want it to be powerful again. So we find artificial means by which we can do that. And so we take what essentially is a bunch of gas and we throw it on there and and gas looks really fantastic when you first throw it on there. The problem is it doesn't last. So some people look to toys and money and power, positions, uh, even marriages or lack of marriages. We change all those things, but it, it just eventually just burns out. It doesn't last. Human effort to stroke the fire of God's grace in my life simply do not last. And so what we need is, and here's the metaphor of all metaphors, the hand of God to ignite the fire and to bring a supply of continuous power from God, uh, like natural gas line to a fire pit, that as long as they're making natural gas, there's going to be fire. And as long as the Spirit of God is at work in our lives, and all that will do is to cause more fire and more fire. There's a great analogy of that in Zechariah 4. You can look it on your own time. But in Zechariah 4, it's, it's this beautiful picture of two olive trees. And God says, take from those olive trees a line and bring it to you. So that as the olive is, oil is produced, it comes to you, that you would be filled by God's Spirit, not by your own strength, but by God's Spirit. So the es essence of the need is that I need to rekindle that faith. How do I do that? By my own efforts, like a bunch of gas on the fire? No. What the problem is, the need that comes into my life, and sometimes those needs are difficult, but Paul says, our fear that minimizes God's grace. The fear is that God's not going to take care of me. He's not going to provide for me. So 2 Timothy 1, he says to them, God has not given us a spirit of timidity. So Timothy in some way was timid, and, and the first thing that Paul says in, in instructing him is not, not theology, it's not how to run a church, it's not how to be a pastor, it's to your heart, Paul says to Timothy, I want your heart not to be fearful. The word timid means to be fearful. It's used in other passages as well. And I like to read where it's used, and it's in Mark chapter 4, verse 40 to the end of the book. 
The Apostle Paul says this to uh, his disciples, I mean, to Mark writes this to his disciples. On that day when the evening came, he said to them, Jesus did, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crown, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats with, with, with him as they travel across the Sea of Galilee. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so that much that the boat was filling up with water. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Wow. Do you not care? You're in the boat with Jesus. <laughs> He's asleep. And we don't think you care. And it goes on and says, And he got up, Jesus did, and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down and became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? That word afraid or fear is the same word for timidity in 2 Timothy 1. Why do you have fear? How is it that you have no faith? And they became very much afraid. And there's another word, phobos from which you get phobias. And they became very much afraid and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And what I love about that passage is that it teaches the kind of fear that I sometimes have, and maybe you do as well, and it really is, can be summarized from that fear in two ways. It's the fear that I'm in circumstances over which I have no control. And it could be a pandemic, it could be financial, it could be health issues, it could be family issues, it could be conflict issues, it could be school issues. And I feel like I've lost control. I, I, don't, I don't know how to manage this problem. It's beyond me. Like the storm that is causing waves to come over the top of the boat, I feel like I'm going to drown in my problems. So Paul writes to Timothy, he says, Timothy, and he surely would have heard this story about Jesus and the fear of the disciples. Don't fear circumstances that, fear, that seem beyond your ability to control them. And the second thing that comes out of this fear is the sense that in the midst of this sort of overwhelming flow of water and storm and circumstances that are just totally outside of my control, is that here I thought Jesus was with me, and he's, he's asleep over here, and, and he just doesn't care. There's nothing more devastating to think that I'm going through a problem of my life and the circumstances of my life are overwhelming and I'm not sure I'm going to survive and then to have a sense that Jesus just doesn't care. And I can't imagine how devastating it would be to go through these times and not think that Christ is with us, but not just with us, but that He cares about us. It's a devastating feeling for people, that emptiness of a heart, like the woman that I know, that decided it's not worth living anymore. She's a believer in Jesus, and she extinguished her life because she didn't think that God is going to take care of her and her problems are too much. Those are tough places to be. So Paul's writing to Timothy right out of the chute. First chapter, first thing he addresses is the problem that he has, that he wants to rekindle that fire of your faith because fear is extinguishing it. So then Paul says, let me, let me give you a remedy. 
So the remedy is found in the last three words of this passage. What resolves this need, what kindles that fire of God's grace in my life, it comes to this. I want you to live, Timothy said, Paul says to Timothy, I want you to live in the power and the love and the discipline of God's grace. So I'm going to spend the rest of our time just illustrating that, giving you a sense of, a, of an elaboration so that there's an application so that you and I never again would ever think that Jesus doesn't care and my circumstances are too much for me because God wants to move you through it. He wants to rekindle that, not through human effort, but through His power. So power. The problem is fear. So one of this little triangle to kind of really illustrate what happens. Fear becomes the centerpiece of my heart. And it might express itself in anxiety in other ways as well. But there's this deep-seated fear that God doesn't care, my problems are too big, Mark chapter 4. And so what God wants to do is to bring, first of all, power. He wants us to know that he, has a, he is a powerful God, that there is nothing too difficult for him. God has said numerous times, nothing is too difficult for me. He says to Mary when she's going to be a virgin giving birth to the Messiah. Now, that's a pretty impossible job. And God says, but not with me. I want, I want my power to be there for you. So let me illustrate this in a way that is, well, this. This is my granddaughter. I know that some of you are thinking, Dave is such a self-absorbed, narcissistic guy that he always has to show us his granddaughter. And if you thought that, well, you're right. <laughs> so this is Camille. Uh, she's a storyline that you have heard ever since before she even existed in one of my messages some time ago. This is Camille's. I went into her little bedroom that we keep her a couple of days a week, and she had just awakened from her nap. And I thought, you could not be cuter. So I took her little picture. So let me illustrate with Camille. And uh, yeah, it's a little self-absorbed, but li listen to what I'm going to do. I want Camille to grow up to have faith, to have faith that God is powerful. I want her to be a risk taker for God. And Paul is challenging Timothy, be a risk taker in your ministry. Don't fear, don't be ashamed. He goes on to say in the next verse, don't be ashamed of me, I'm in prison. Don't let that hold you back. I want you to be challenged and bold. So I, I want Camille to be challenged and bold in her life. So in our house, we have a two-story home. We have stairs, of course. So I thought, wouldn't it be interesting to challenge her to climb those stairs? She's not walking yet, so this is about maybe 10 months. And so we put her on the stairs, and there she is, starting to work her way up the staircase. Can you see that okay? And so this is fantastic. She's, she's a risk taker, and she begins, continues to climb, and she sees her, her daddy at the top of the stairs. And I thought, this is a great illustration. As long as I keep my eyes on the Father, I can climb whatever mountain God gives to me. Don't you love the metaphors? And so we, we climb, we, we have these things we want to achieve. We believe this. God is all-powerful. So she continues to climb up those steps, and she gets closer and closer. And it looks like my daughter's hand is on her little bum there, but it's not. She's doing it all on her own. I'm thinking, wow, what a risk-taker. She's going to be bold for God. 
But sometimes when we take risks, sometimes it doesn't work out. And so as she climbed and climbed, she suddenly slipped, and there she fell. But fortunately, Kirsty was right there and caught her, which I was thankful for, as was Kirsty and her father, and anyways, all of us. Now imagine, we who are believers in Jesus, we are his children. Can you imagine for any time at ever in the history of mankind that there would ever be a mother who sees her child fall, that that mother would not do all that she can to catch her and carry her, care for her? There's not a mother or a dad in this world that right there would say, oh, well, sorry, Camille, let's, oh, did you hit your head? I, oh, I feel badly about that. I could have caught you, but, you know, I don't really love you that much. And so I thought, why not let you fall? There's not a mother or a dad or a grandma or a grandpa in the world or an aunt or an uncle that would step back and say, you know, I just don't care. I'm going to just let you fall. And if you get hurt, ah, it's okay. Now think about God. I'm his child. You as a believer in Jesus are his children as well. Would the father who has all the power in the world not want to catch you in his arms and care for you when you take risks for him. He is all-powerful, and sometimes I don't believe as I should believe. And I love this verse. It came to mind when I thought about what Camille just did. I love this verse. If I should say my foot has slipped, your loving kindness, O Lord, will hold me up. I want to reassure us that when we take risks for God, he is there to hold us up. His power is, is greater than anything we can imagine. Nothing is impossible for me. Above and beyond all that we think or ask, God wants to do. So his power is there to make that fear begin to diminish. But not just his power, but his love. The love of God that, that has the capacity to change our lives and the lives of people that we express that love to. So let me illustrate the love that has the ability to change people's lives. I'm going to give a shout out to Barbara Spiker, who is in our church. She's done a great job of this Operation uh, Christmas Child. It's the Samaritan's Purse. We're in Fellowship Hall over there for years. She and her family would gather all these things like, like uh, boy, uh, pencils and toothbrushes and toys and claws and, and all kinds of things that children need in other countries around this world. And there's a streamline, there's an amazing system done at a time or two where you sort of walk along filling the shoebox up with all these gifts that other kids can have in another country. In this case, it happens to be Africa. It happens to be uh, Nyala, Liberia. So two years ago, a Christian church and a Christian pastor in Nyala decided to use the Christmas Child Samaritan's Purse ministry. In that town, what's unique about it is that there's a road that goes right through the middle of it. On one side of that road are the Muslims. On the other side of that road are the Christians. And there's conflict. There's tribalism. They're not getting along. And there's fear of each other. They don't know each other. They don't spend any time with each other. 
And so this Christian pastor in the Christian church on the Christian side of this town, on the opposite side of the Muslim side of the road that goes through the middle of the, of the city, decided, let's do Christmas uh, packages, Christmas uh, <laughs> child packages, shoe boxes. And so they got some. They thought, well, you know, we could, we could spread them out here on our campus in our Christian church on the Christian side, but how will we get them to the Muslim kids on the other side of the road? So he asked the officials of the city, could we shut down this road that goes between these two sides? And they yeah, said yes. So they stopped all traffic on that road, brought all these shoe boxes full of gifts that are appropriate for all these little kids that you see here in the picture. If you can see it, they're actually holding some of, some of the shoe boxes in their hands. They're happy as could be. And so what happens is they brought all these gifts and put them in that road, the center of the town between the two sides. And the Christians stood on one side and the Muslims stood on the other side. And the little children from Muslim and Christian homes began to pick up these packages and sort of dance down the middle of this town on that street. And it was an amazing thing that was happening. And that wasn't all. As a result of that, the imam was so impressed by that and so overwhelmed by that that he wrote this. He told us these gifts are exactly what our children needed. This convinced them to let us come back and do another outreach event. As a result, the second time they did this as well, the imam invited the Christians to come onto the Muslim side, and the Muslims, the imam, actually gave them some land in the Muslim side of this town so they could build a Christian church. It's amazing. Not only that, but the imam said, would you come to our mosque? And in that mosque, the pastor of the Christian church on the Christian side of town went to the Muslim side, went to the mosque, and shared the gospel of Jesus Christ inside the mosque. It's just amazing. So the pastor then concluded it with this, I don't know, just one little paragraph. He says, we have been closed out for almost 100 years from some of these communities on the Muslim side, and now we are receiving invitations. They have gone from no, we don't need anything from you, to can you come, can you come now? Because they're realizing that there are no strings attached and that our God is a God of love. The love of God has a way of erasing fear, has a way of uniting people. And man, oh man, could we use that in many of our cities today, right? The love of God, the love of Jesus Christ that we as believers without bias, without prejudice, without bigotry, that we begin to take the risk to prove that fear can be extinguished through love. This is why I love this verse. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. When you and I choose to go across the street to the cubicle worker down the hallway, to the first responders that you see down the street taking a coffee break, when you and I take the risk to show the love of Jesus to people, it changes lives. And the fear that causes the fire to be extinguished, that fear is cast out. Now, the last one is this. So there's power, there's love, and then there's discipline. Now, let me give you a little bit of a Greek word study on the word discipline. 
The word discipline is actually made up of two words, sozo, which means to save, and friend, P-H-R-E-N, which is mind. So the word that Paul uses here for discipline means to save your mind, to have a sound mind is the idea. So discipline is not, well, I'm going to get up every morning and I'm going to exercise really hard. It's not that. It's my mind is being saved. My mind is thinking sound thoughts. My mind is being penetrated with God's truth. I am hearing those things that I need to know so that I will live my life honorably to Him. And so I have the power of God, I have the love of God, and I have the truth of God. And some ways that I can think about this particular chart, as you think about it, here's a more simplistic, alliterative way. It's heart, hands, and head. My head is the discipline of God's truth. My heart is the love of God and the power of God on my hands to do great things for Him. Head, heart, and hands. God says those things begin to make fear shrink. So I love when he goes on so much in this epistle that we're going to look at today. A little bit later on, he talks about sound doctrine. The word for sound is the same word for sound in this particular text where it says, for the time has come, will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. The word for sound there, we get the English word hygiene from it. In other words, there's, there's a healthy truth to this. When I place God's truth in my brain, in my mind, I'm saving my mind. I'm saving my head. I'm saving God's truth, and it's causing greater health. And the more healthy my brain is, the more healthy my love is, the more healthy God's power is, the less I fear to take a risk for Him. And so there's going to come a time when people won't want sound doctrine. They, they want to have someone come and tickle their ears. They'll want people to say things that, that are agreeable to the culture of the times. But we resist that. But we don't resist it without love and God's power. Because you can't do one without the others. All three of them must work synchronization, head, heart, and hands. They have to work together. Now let me conclude with two things to illustrate. There's something I've been wanting to say to you for a long time for this last year. And since I'm up here and I've got a little time remaining, here we go. One of the things that I've been doing this last year, as some of you know, I used to do other things here. And for uh, this last year, one of the things I've been doing is working with our school. Uh, we have a preschool all the way through eighth grade, if you didn't know that, online or right here or outside. And it's been my privilege to work with David Seidman. He's brand new this year, doing a great job. We're so appreciative of him and all the leaders that he has there that they work together. Something you probably do not know, because I don't think I've ever said it, and I don't know that anybody else has ever said this, is that each meeting, we have a meeting once a month, and each of those meetings, we have the teachers report to us a, what is called a report, where they go through, and there are a variety of things that every classroom must include. And that it means bringing what I would now just use the word sound doctrine to these students, healthy truth if you will, another way to these students. And so we get a report, and here are some of them. I don't have time. I could spend hours reading these to you. Every month it's a new report that comes to us. This one, for example, in February, and this is the report, students know and understand that all aspects of life and education 
are seen as their spiritual act of worship. We're helping every student that comes on our campus, whether they come from a believing home or a non-believing home, whether a Muslim home or a Buddhist home, we're helping every student to know that they are spiritual acts of worship. For example, here in kindergarten, the kindergarten report is, in kindergarten, the students are learning that every action, word, or deed, and thought can be an act of praise to the Lord throughout the day. The teachers emphasize that humans can worship God through the way we treat others, the way we treat our environment, how we play a game, make music, and even the attitude toward others and the tasks at hand, students encouraged to pray and to seek the Lord throughout the day as modeled by their teachers. Goes on to say, and all the grades give a report about this. Here's third grade. Students know and understand that all aspects of life and education are seen as acts of worship. Students are reminded to do all things as unto Christ. We start by bringing glory to God and our responsible behaviors toward organizing our binders, desks, and are accountable for our work. Fourth grade. We study character traits so that we can remember that we do, that all that we do should be done in His Spirit. Some of these include obedient, perseverance, kind, forgiving, attentive, self-control, and gentleness and helpfulness. Others include in math. Here's math. I could never do math. I, I still can't do math. I feel, feel shamed of that, but I'm thankful for you who can do math, so I defer to you. But here in the math class, as students progress toward middle school at Calvary, they're constantly reminded that all, they're all God's beloved children. In homeroom and in math class, this truth is reinforced as students are encouraged to give God their best in all that they think, say, and do. I often quote Galatians 6.9, do not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Since math by its nature involves much energy and effort on the part of the students in order to achieve success, I feel that it's important that they realize that they work hard to please God. I never worked hard in math to please God. I'm sorry to confess that. Another report is this. Students know how to pray and understand the importance of value of active and consistent prayer life. Every student that comes on our campus, we have a thousand people that cross our campus outside of COVID on a normal day. And all those students, yeah, they're learning the three R's as we know them traditionally, but they're learning about prayer. They're learning about worship. In first grade, for example, the students are learning how to pray and the importance of prayer. We start every day with prayer led by the teacher, and then at least two students pray after that. First grade, two students pray in that classroom. They are learning and understanding the importance of prayer and how easy it is to communicate to the Lord Himself. And uh, let me wrap up with one last one. I love this last quote, if I can get to it. And this comes under the students model Christian character and conduct. And uh, this is the Spanish class that we teach here. The teacher says, uh, Mrs. Householder says, I sometimes sound like a broken record saying how blessed I am to teach at Calvary Christian School, but it's the truth. At other schools I've taught, I could probably count on one hand the times I witnessed students modeling Christ-like behavior. Students displaying Christian character and values have not been the norm in other schools. At Calvary Christian School, I get to witness how the students rally around each other to celebrate not only their accomplishments, but they also jump to prayer and look for ways to comfort those in pain. Listen to this. This year, this year, COVID year, I watched them pray over and rally over a student. I won't, her name is here, but I won't name it. A student in my homeroom class over her knee surgery. Last year, I got to watch them rally around another student who's named here when he fell during PE. They know that uh, he has brittle bone disease and students were literally running to gather and pray for him. 
I got to witness them come alongside international students, not only making them feel welcome, but by displaying their Christ-like values to them to the point where last year, one of these students in my homeroom came to accept the Lord as their Savior. Also last year, when a student was diagnosed with a rare form of cancer, I watched her classmates pray over her multiple times and celebrated when we saw a miraculous healing. It is such a blessing to witness so many students who have such a godly heart. That's what we're investing in here. That's what it's all about. That we would help students overcome fear because they see the power of God through healthy truth where lives are literally changed forever. We have students coming from countries like Korea who are able to hear the gospel, maybe for the first time. And your investment and my investment in this is to stoke the fire of God's grace so that fear does not extinguish it, but we live by His power. We change lives by the way we love, and we keep ourselves healthy as we understand God's truth. When the head, heart, and hands are working together like that, we'll do anything. We'll risk anything to accomplish good for God. One of the couples that has been part of Calvary's family for as long as I can remember are John and Julie Clark. John and Julie Clark used to sit out there where you and I sit. And they were doing the Orange County thing of working hard and teaching and business and entrepreneurial work. And then one missions, they decided, we feel called to go. Where are you going to go? We don't know. You know, they had to work it out. Go to, they went to Redlands. There was a lot of things that had to take place. And so they ended up, God called them, and they felt led. They went to Mali, not to be confused with Bali. It's the other extreme, Mali. And I asked them this last week, would you share, how did you do this? Where does that come from? How do you overcome the fear of what you're doing? Would you give us a story of how that works? So here's John and Julie Clark. Molly in West Africa. Today I made a list of my fears. And a lot of these fears are because of where we live, because Mali is one of the most dangerous countries to live in in the world today. That's because there's an active war in the country now with Islamic jihadists that are trying to take over the country. As a result, terrorist attacks are quite common. We live under a constant threat of kidnapping because they take Westerners for ransom. Most of our friends live in homes fortified with 10-foot walls topped with razor wire. Inside their houses, they have a panic room or safe room. We've been instructed on many occasions by security experts to make these same modifications to our home. As I continue with my list, I look at the lack of modern medical care here in Mali. In fact, in Mali, even the doctors say that people go to the hospital to die. We've been medevaced out of the country four separate times. We've been dealing with the COVID pandemic just like the rest of the world has, only we don't have adequate facilities or personnel in order to deal with it. In addition to this, we're also dealing with diseases that a lot of the other world, that a lot of the rest of the world doesn't have, including malaria, typhoid, cholera, Ebola, yellow fever. These are all realities here today in Mali. In fact, in Mali, the life expectancy 
is only 58 years is the average life expectancy. In addition to that, we have a very corrupt and unstable government. We've been through two military coups since we lived here, the most recent just back in August. Today, we're living under a military government. They've promised democratic elections next year, but most people aren't very hopeful of that. As a result, we have a lot of violent protests and demonstrations on the streets every day, in addition to labor strikes and unrest. I had to stop on my list today because it just came overwhelming for me. You know, I made a list today, too. And as I remembered my fears about living in Mali, I also remembered God's goodness and grace in seeing us through those times of trauma or insecurity or uncertainty. During those times of civil unrest, riots and protests, especially this last summer, God reminded me that this violence was never directed towards Christians nor towards Americans, and I felt safe being here. When those protests happen, the international borders, as well as the airport, are closed. I have no escape out of this country. But rather than focus on my fear, God gave me the provision and the peace and the protection to stay here during those times. Last summer, I was in need of kidney surgery, and God provided a new, brand new, modern Turkish hospital with the exact specialist that I needed for my condition. And for terrorist threats, interestingly enough, God met a young man who used to be a jihadist that has now given his life to the Lord and is a believer. John continues to disciple him. And this young man, because of his unique security position, gives us information that we need to stay safe against terrorist threats now. I sure like Julie's list a whole lot better than my list. And it's a reminder that we have a choice to make every day. Now, we're not perfect. And there are times when we are overcome by our fears, just like you are. And when those times happen, we stop and we pray. And we remember the testimonies. We remember the good things that God has done in the way he's seen us through in the past. And we put our trust in him, knowing that we can depend on him in every circumstance. You know, something that helped us do that, prepared us to do that, is something that we started about two years ago. Every morning, the very first thing John and I do when we wake up is we get on the side of our bed. And as a couple, we pray to God and we remember the good things he has done. And we are filled with thanksgiving and trust and faith that he will see us through the day to come. You have the same choices to make every day. You can focus on your fears or you can focus on the things that God has done in your life. The great love, John and Julie. They're just wonderful couple. They, they are adventurous. They are fearless in ways that I don't think I could handle that. In fact, uh, it was about a year and a half ago when I was transitioning here job-wise uh, that uh, he actually wrote, would you like to come and stay in Mali as we go back to the States? And I've, I'm the coward here. <laughs> I said, well, I'm not sure I, I feel the calling, you know, John. But, uh, but that makes me appreciate them all the more and depreciate me. But the, that they have this, this wonderful, challenging ministry. And, and we think we've got trouble in our country. He listed a bunch of stuff that could apply to us. But there it's, it's magnified by ten times. And so for you and me, just the summary of this is that God wants to stoke the fire of our faith.
that He wants to be burning, not because of some artificial human effort to keep the fire going up, and we keep feeding it with more gas and more gas, and we think it'll somehow last, but it doesn't last until we tie into the power of God and let God's Spirit flow through us so that we overcome the fear that I don't want to be a risk taker for Jesus. I just want to huddle up and just close down and cocoon myself. And then God says, but I, but I Timothy, and, and He says to Dave, and He says to you, He says, but God is a God of power that is immense, and His hands are there to catch you if, if your foot slips. That God is a God of love, and His love bridges all divides including a town of Muslims and Christians that God wants to bring you and me together of a country with divisions and sometimes in a church of divisions, that God would unite us through the love and that He wants us to have healthy, healthy thoughts, healthy truth, sound doctrine, sound minds, with head, heart, and hands under God's control. No fear will ever stop us. We'll accomplish great things for the Lord. Father God, help us. Help us to be people that Paul is teaching, that we become the students like Timothy was to Paul. That God, you would stoke the fire of our faith and that some of us maybe, some of us here today may have, have that fire feel like it's just about extinguished because of the circumstances of life and that you don't seem to care. God, I pray that they would experience you in a fresh new fire, that You would instill within them a confidence and a boldness, that You would lift their spirits with healthy truth, encouraging words from others that lifts their soul and their minds, a love that impacts them in powerful ways that changes them, and Your power, Lord, would undergird them and that Your hands are right there to catch them should they slip. Help us to believe what you say in your word, Father, to live like it's true. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.